Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It is Tuesday, the 8th of September. I'm Tom Tilley, and today we're going to brief you on how to bounce back if you've lost your job this year. It can be going back to looking at things that made you happy when you were a kid. Like, was there something that just absolutely made your eyes shine? That story in just a moment. First, let's go to the big stories of the day with Annika Smith-Hurst. Sydney would be under a curfew right now if it was Victoria. Those were the words from Scott Morrison criticising Victoria's roadmap out of this lockdown. The plan that was outlined yesterday, I hope, is a worst-case scenario. I see it as a starting point. But what I can't help but be struck by is that under the thresholds that have been set in that plan, Sydney would be under curfew now. Under the plan, most of Melbourne will remain shut until at least the end of October. Uh, The Federal Health Department Secretary, Professor Brendan Murphy, says improving Victoria's contact tracing could help them reach freedom faster. This does seem a very conservative approach. Some of the triggers seem five cases rather than ten, no cases rather than a few. I think some of us feel that if there were more confidence in the public health response capability, you could take some slightly more generous triggers. While last night on Nine, Federal Health Minister Greg Hunt accused the state government of not listening to federal advice or to Victorians. We're saying to Victoria, please listen to the calls and the cries of your people, your population, who are saying, why can't we do what New South Wales has done and not to demand zero cases for 14 or 28 days. But despite all that criticism and those arguments from the federal government, uh, and despite case numbers at the lowest in 10 weeks yesterday, Premier Daniel Andrews says his plan won't change. On the 5th of August, we had 725 cases. On the 7th of September, we have 41 cases. These numbers are coming down. This strategy is working. And backing him up, as you would expect, was the Victorian Chief Health Officer, Brett Sutton. What's the alternative? Because we, we've done this modelling to understand what it would mean to lift at an earlier point in time, to lift at different numbers, and going into another lockdown I think would be even more devastating from a mental health point of view. I wonder what their plan is on the other side, Annika, once they reach these turning points and they open back up. What if there are more cases that emerge there? Will they be stricter than New South Wales when it comes to locking down their population again? I just don't see how they're going to get people in again. And I think that's why they're taking this very conservative path out. But there was a little bit of good news yesterday. They were asked if they hit some of those later benchmarks a little bit earlier, the ones planned for late in November, would they be released earlier? And it does sound like there is some appetite for that. And world number one tennis player Novak Djokovic has issued an apology after he was disqualified from the US Open for accidentally hitting a ball into a line judge's throat. Game Some good wheels up to the short ball. Oh. 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 Brutal, wasn't it? Yeah, if you haven't seen that footage, a frustrated Djokovic pulls a spare ball out of his pocket and hits it behind him without kind of looking, but he hits the judge. Yeah, and the tennis champion drew a lot of criticism when he left Flushing Meadows almost immediately. He didn't even give a press conference. Uh, Later on, though, he did put out a statement on Instagram saying it was so wrong and unintended and that the whole situation left him feeling really sad and empty and he's extremely sorry to have caused her such distress. He's also paid a a massive price for this, um, being thrown out of the tournament. He's forfeited the 250 grand he was due for reaching the fourth round, um, plus whatever fines he might get. Yeah, it's been a pretty tough year for Djokovic. He was also, his reputation's a little bit on the nose at the moment after he held that tournament early in the year where there was 
a COVID outbreak and I think he even contracted it, Tom. Yeah, and there was also a lot of criticism for him wanting to start up his own Players Association, which hasn't been supported by other big players like Federer and Nadal. So there seems to be a lot of criticism mounting around him. Why do you think that is? Do you think it is just these recent events or do you think there's an underlying dislike for this man? It's funny. I think because we've seen uh, two very popular players at the top of the game for so long in Federer and Rafa, that really frames a lot of the debates around who is the popular and good guys in tennis and who might not be the good guys in tennis. So unfortunately for Djokovic, he's had a a bit of a rough relationship with those two guys, especially around the Players Association. And I think that may have framed this debate. Yeah, but I guess it'd be tough, wouldn't it? Those two are the most likeable, uncontroversial players in the history of the game. (laughs) Now, Tom, you might be getting a visit from Australia Post. Birth certificates and driver's licence are among close to 4 million items stolen by hackers in a major cyber attack on Services New South Wales. Yeah, after a four-month investigation, the agency says close to 200,000 people have had their personal data stolen and the hackers got in by using a phishing scam to gain access to 47 staff accounts. It says it's in the final stages of the investigation and that at-risk customers will be notified by Australia Post in person, as you'd expect. All right, so I won't get excited like there's some online shopping that I forgot turning up. (laughs) And the Prime Minister says he won't cave in to Facebook's threat to block local news. He's vowing to push ahead with the laws to make tech giants share revenue with local media companies. I intend to follow through with it and therefore I would encourage them very strongly to work constructively with the process that is underway and I'm I'm quite certain we'll come to a sensible outcome on this. And it, it won't need coercion wherever it comes from. It's not something I respond very well to. As we told you last Friday, both Facebook and Google aren't happy with proposed reforms, which will go to Parliament soon. And as for whether the Prime Minister thinks Facebook is serious in their threat? I remember Amazon said to me once, well, you know, we're not going to pay this tax uh, when it comes to the low value threshold. And they they threatened to pull Amazon and they did. And they were back three months later. Yeah, so standing firm there and a bit of a track record on on standing up to the big tech companies is that... Annika, as someone who's watched a lot of friends get fired from the media industry this year, sort of feels good to watch the watch the PM stick up to the tech companies who've made so much money in this space. I think you'll have a lot of support in media circles from this one. And ultimately, a government, a sovereign government can't be seen to be, I guess, bending over to some of the biggest tech giants in the world. The interesting thing is Australia is going out alone on this. There's not many countries that have decided to take on these tech giants just yet. So the rest of the world will be watching. Yeah, and interesting to see what the US says in their submission. I know they don't want to be critical of Australia, but they are the country uh, where these tech companies are based and may have a different view on this whole thing. Twenty twenty has been a nightmare year for so many people's careers. Yeah, young people and women particularly are bearing the brunt of this particular economic crisis. More than one in ten people in their twenties have lost their job. Yeah, that's a pretty tough statistic. So whether you've lost your job or the COVID crisis has made you rethink your career and how it's actually working for you, we're going to find out how you turn that low point into a positive or even a pivot to use one of the most annoying words of the year. (laughs) A businesswoman called Beck Brown has written a book called You've Got This. It's designed to be a guide on reassessing your career. 
Beck was a fully trained singer before having a quarter-life crisis and finding a new career in publicity, and she now runs a really successful PR company. Beck, thanks for joining us. If someone listening right now has been fired this year, what should they do? I've learnt that when times are changing, it's really helpful to remember that while we can't control what happens to us, we can control our reaction to it. So if you're working in a competitive industry or if a big change happens like you've just lost your job, it is really easy to catastrophize and start adding a lot of additional drama to the situation. Often we define ourselves by what we do. You know, our jobs are more than just something to make money. So how do people get through these difficult times if they've either, you know, lost a few hours or lost some potential work or or been sacked? How do you deal with that? for your ego and in your sense of who you are? That's a really good question. One of the traits of really highly successful people, and this was something that I found in the research for the book, is that they have an ability to get over disappointment. And so keeping that in the back of your mind, and that's something that we can all do. I'm not saying it's easy. It's as, it's as difficult, but as simple as that. So trying to just even getting yourself in that attitude and that frame of mind knowing that you can get over this disappointment is probably the first one. The second thing is it's a really great time to reassess what your values are and your values ultimately are going to be what's going to make you happy. So if you take the time to to really know what your values are and then you can also go down the path of perhaps reassessing what your passions or your curiosities are because it might be that now is the time that you take a shift and you end up working in a different industry or a different field, or you find that perhaps you need more, you do a bit of an audit and you find that there are more skills that you need to make yourself more competitive in the industry that you want to stay in. This pandemic has affected young people and and women more because they work in retail and they work in hospitality more than any other groups. And that's not always the case with recessions. With the last recession, we was hitting older men more. So this is something your book kind of focuses on, the career challenges that women face. And we know some of the obvious ones, taking time out to have children. But what do you think is unique about the way women work in the workplace and what can they learn when trying to navigate a new path? I think that career progression has two different types of ways forward and a kind of outdated one, but one that has been a little bit more applicable perhaps to men in the past has been that straight ladder. So you climb the ladder and it's one way. I think something that's becoming a lot more prevalent for everybody at the moment, but particularly for women, if you, especially if you're taking time out to um, have children, is a more of a zigzag approach. So you pick up skills and you might take a lot more of a sideways approach and you slowly but surely zigzag across into different skills and different areas. There's also the idea that nothing is ever wasted. So no matter what field you're working in or what area you're picking up skills in, that skill will undoubtedly be adding and it creates almost like a snowball effect that you take all those new skills with you into your new role. So having the ability and just knowing that it's okay to be zigzagging in your career and taking a bit more of a meandering approach as opposed to trying to shoot up some corporate ladder. So if you're in a situation where you've lost your job or or you've got a whole bunch more time in your life, or there's been another reason for a strategic reassessment of your career and what you're passionate about. How do you go about that reassessment? How do you 
take stock and work out where to go from here and how to plan your path forward? So the idea with knowing what your values are is sometimes it comes down to um, even or knowing what your passions and curiosities are is it can be going back to looking at things that made you happy when you were a kid. Like was there something that just absolutely made your eyes shine? Perhaps time stood still when you were doing it. Is there a way for you to look into that particular area as something that you want to do? Um, In terms of working out what your values are, it may be something like having a great income. It may be something like looking after your health. It could be serving others. It could be having a family. And so the best way to, to work out what your values are is almost just map all of those things out. And then if you had to choose one of those that was the most important, choose that one and then do it again and again and again. And you'll end up getting a list of what all your values are. And then when it comes the time to be making any kind of decisions, you keep coming back to that list and say, well, if I do this thing, if I take this job, if I go down this path of this new career, how does that fit in with my values? And you'll soon be able to use those values as a bit of a guiding light forward to make sure that you're making the very best decisions. So that's if you're looking for to, I guess, have a career change. But for what about people who are in their job, but maybe in a bit of a rut? You talk about goal setting. How regularly should we reassess where we are and how specific should those goals be? Is it is it what I want to achieve in five years or 10 years or, you know, next week? The way that I would do it is I tend to do like a perhaps a three or six month um, goals and then I would do perhaps a four or five year goal plan. In a time like this when things are a bit more uncertain, maybe it's more like a year plan ahead instead of, you know, four or five years. But um, at each stage, again, when you're setting your goals, check them against your values to make sure that the goals that you are setting are going to be in line with them. Because if they're not, if they're at odds, you're just going to set yourself up to be feeling a bit unhappy. So reassess them and then map them out, you know, at the end of each month, perhaps just check again in with your list and see how you're tracking. And don't get too worried if you've had a bit of a bad day or a bit of a bad week and you think, oh, I'm not working towards any of these goals, just assess it at the end of the month because it's very easy to have a bit of a bad day or a bit of a bad week, but it's very easy to have a productive month. Every little small step that you take can create a big life transformation. So just keep taking those daily repeated steps. So Beck, you've also got experience in running your own business. You run your own PR company. Um, What's your advice for small business owners at this time? Obviously, there's lots of employees who are doing it really tough, but running a small business would be really hard, especially if you're in Victoria right now. Yeah, it is really hard. And I think underpinning all of it is just making sure that you're looking after yourself. I know from personal experience that when you are looking after your business, you're looking after your team, you're looking after your clients, you end up putting yourself last and ultimately that's not going to work. So look at how you can look after your health. How can you try and get a bit more sleep? How could you perhaps lay off the alcohol, perhaps lay off the sugar? Try and just keep yourself healthy. Another thing too is just your attitude and your mental state, I suppose. So the biggest thing is, is business owners, look after yourself because that's how we're going to get through it. 
Given we're in a recession and, look, the jobs rate is going to be getting higher, there's talk that the unofficial job rate will be one in 10 people by the end of the year. That's more people looking for work. So how do you give yourself the edge over other people? What are some of the skills that you think employers are kind of looking for now that can really make you stand out in that job market? Yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head when you said skills. I think it's time to do a really great audit of the skills that are needed right now and are going to be needed in your industry and in your particular field. Once you've got those, work really hard to make sure that those skills are at the top of your game. Are there areas where you can upskill? Um, then second to that is just creating and maintaining your personal professional brand because when you're working in a competitive market, you need to kind of know how to stand out from the crowd. And this is also linked back to really knowing who you are and what you stand for. So once you get clarity on what you stand for, how are you portraying that to the world in your day-to-day -day interactions? I think too that social, your social media accounts and your online presence is particularly important at the moment because we're not able to see each other in real life as much as we used to. So again, do a bit of an audit of your social media accounts. I know that as an employer, I've made hires um, based on what I'm seeing online on a person. So, you know, get your LinkedIn up to date. If you've, if you've got a public Instagram or Twitter or even Facebook page, just make sure that it's up to date and it's completely in line with who you are now. That was Beck Brown, the author of You've Got This, an essential career handbook for creative women. Annika, that point about upskilling was really good. If, you know, in a few years time, you look back on 2020 and you went, well, I lost my job, but I went and did um, a postgraduate diploma in this and it's actually sent my career in a whole new exciting direction that would be a great way to have dealt with this crisis. Yeah, like you said, it's turning a crisis into, you know, a positive. Now, I kind of fall into that category. I don't know about a, oh, yeah? a university degree, but I've enrolled in a TAFE course in landscape design, which starts next month. Wow. I'm standing down from one of my jobs, and that's going to be my upskilling during the virus. You'll be a landscaper. That's huge. <laughs> and this came about because we all had a few months off there when we had to work from home. We redid our garden, and I decided I actually really Really enjoyed it. Now, I don't know if this is going to be a permanent career move for me, but getting new skills during the pandemic, and that's what it's about, not wasting this to opportunity. All right, that's awesome. Be really interested to hear how that course goes for you and a, and a great example of when you've got extra space in your life, doing something different that you otherwise wouldn't have done when you were so busy. That's it for today. Tomorrow on The Briefing, the recession. What does it mean exactly in technical economic terms and what does it mean for you personally? What do you really have to worry about? That's the briefing tomorrow. Tell your friends about it. Post an Insta story. Tell us where you're listening to the show. Give us a tag and we'll talk to you tomorrow. A Podcast One production.